Hi, my name is Austin Durr with the Teacher Empowerment Summit, and today I'd like to welcome Dr. Brad Gustafson. Dr. Brad Gustafson is, a, is an educator, speaker, and a best-selling author. He's on the National School Boards Association 20 to Watch. He is a Digital Innovation and Learning Award winner and a Minnesota Principal of the Year. He serves on Scholastic's Principal Advisory Board, and his new book, Reclaiming Our Calling, is creating a child-centered ruckus everywhere. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the summit. Uh, where are you calling in from today? Minnesota, Austin, and thanks for the great intro. And I'm just going to say my last name is Gustafson. I'm not picky, but just so you, just so you know. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry about that. No, you're um, not. You're good. Actually, let's just let's let's start over and I'll get it right. Okay. I I meant to ask you about that. No problem. Okay. And I didn't do it. Okay. Gustafson. 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 Yes, you got okay. it. All right. See if I can say all of that again. No problem. Dr. Brad Gustafson. Yes. Okay. And do you want me to refer to you as Dr. Brad, Brad Gustafson throughout or Brad Brad just Brad. Okay. Yep. yep. Fantastic. Okay. Hi, my name is Austin Durr with the Teacher Empowerment Summit, and today I'd like to welcome Dr. Brad Gustafson. Brad is an educator, a speaker, and a best-selling author. He's on the National School Board Association 20 to Watch. He is a Digital Innovation and Learning Award winner and a Minnesota Principal of the Year. He serves on Scholastic's Principal Advisory Board and is a national advisor with Future Ready Schools. His new book, Reclaiming Our Calling, is creating a child-centered ruckus. Yes! <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your mojo. You're doing great. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I love that, the child-centered ruckus. Um, what it's can you tell way, me about that? It's the only way to create a ruckus. I think the intent, Austin, is just that as we, as educators like us, see things that we think we could think about differently or do differently or keep doing and advocating for for kids, that we want to do that and really keep the focus on what's best for them. So hence the child-centered ruckus. Because we all know people who may create ruckuses, but if it's not serving kids, then maybe it's not doing what we want it to do. It's right. So it's like a constructive ruckus. Yes, yes. Although constructive sounds kind of sterile and a little less energizing. So child-centered ruckus is, is where it's at. I like it. Fantastic. So what does that, I, that have to do with reclaiming our calling? How can you connect that back to your book? Yep. Well, so here's the deal. Most people I talk to when we talk about like why we said yes to this profession and calling, it has less to do with content and accountability it um, not that we don't ever get there or want to live in that world but it has everything to do with starting with relationships and connection so when we start with relationships and connection then the accountability and the content always seems to work really well for for kids however the system isn't always set up in in that way or in that order and sometimes it almost feels like we have to apologize for building relationships with students and our colleagues and it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that. It wasn't designed to be like that. Kids deserve both um, content and relationships and connections. So the ruckus comes in that just kind of says, we're going to work together to create the conditions where kids have deep relationships with others. They know themselves and they learn the kind content at a high level. 
Amazing. That's really, that's, that's really great to hear uh, when people talk about it in that context. Um, I, I've got a question though, and this is something, you know, we talk a lot about empowering things, but I'm curious um, in terms of the conflict that the teachers face, and we talk a lot about that, but what conflicts do you encounter and what, kind of, what keeps you up at nights? Okay. Well, first, let me just back up a half a step and say I so appreciate you setting up a, a forum and a digital conference, a summit with the peer intent of empowering educators and helping them and, and us thrive in the work we're doing because it's really important work. And when educators are thriving, we're able to ensure that kids are thriving. So uh, heartfelt thanks. And I'm just excited to be able to support that mission. Uh, as far as what keeps me up at night, um, I serve on a team who always wants to do the right thing for kids in the right manner at the right time. And as the saying goes, even when no one else is looking. And a lot of our planning, a lot of uh, whether you're sitting in a principal office or serving at really any capacity, um, it's not in the, the public light. And, and a lot of these thoughts and plans and struggles happen internally. And here's one of the biggest struggles that keeps me up at night, in part because I know it keeps people I care about up at night. And it's again that it's the conflict between feeling like we have to choose between helping a student achieve at a really high level on a test or um, develop a deeper relationship and kind of meet their social emotional needs and see them as a whole person and really care about them. And that's a really important thing that sometimes misconceptions happen. So for example, here's a, a quick one that I wrestle with. Um, sometimes it feels like we have to pick one or the other. And we, we really don't. So the more people understand that we need both, then I, I sleep better, in part because we directly see kids and teachers thriving under those conditions. But when, I, when I'm up at night, it's when the two are pitted against one another. So here's an example, and I mentioned this, this one in the book, and I'm not proud of myself for having this thought or conflict, but we went several, several years ago we were doing some attendance work in our district and we we're just kind of looking at where we would best serve kids with with their placements and such and i i remember thinking about a student's test scores during that um process now why on earth austin would or should i be thinking about a kiddo's test scores before making a decision about what or, or even a recommendation or um about what school they should attend and the, really the answer at least in the context i was in was it should not have been on my radar. It really, the conversation should have been about meeting the specific needs of that student, regardless of how high, average, or low they might have been achieving in, in different, different things. And the reason that I share that really embarrassing story and thought, and I will, I will say that we made the right decision for the, the kiddo, but I, I'm being honest that I think if I'm having that thought every once in a while and, and testing is influencing things um, maybe in a way that's less helpful to the learners we serve than it should. We just have to have an honest conversation about that because no one can be empowered when they have baggage or kind of destructive thoughts and practices influencing their work. So even with your listeners or viewers who, who get it and unswervingly serve kids and would never like have that thought that, that I had, they're serving in a system sometimes that does um, those things are happening. We're really good people are, are conflicted. And let's be honest, we, we also are influenced by the people we're 
working next door to and just educators even across the country. I mean, we're in this together, as my friend Joe Sanfilippo says. So if you're struggling with it in some way, shape or form, Austin, I'm probably struggling with it, too. Yeah. And, you know, that there's always that tension, right, between you wanting your students to have good test scores and also wanting them to grow as a human being mm-hmm. in their schooling. And so I'm curious if you have any practical, tangible things that the average classroom teacher can do to bring in that social emotional learning into their classroom when, when really they have so much pressure to teach to these standardized tests. Right. So what I've noticed is teachers do really well at bringing that into their classroom. I'm going to speculate that most people don't need help actually bringing it in. It's almost more along the lines where they need permission or strategies to confront when when outside influences are maybe questioning what they know is right for kids. So just a subtle nuance to your your question there. Uh, But the first and foremost is in the book, I talk about the core of our calling, so the things that matter most. And, and again, the ultimate goal isn't to have kids score really high on a, a, any given assessment, although we think that'll be a byproduct of this, this work and journey. The ultimate goal is to help kids have learning that lasts. And that's a little bit of a, a switch, or ha- I call it transcendent learning. So if we were, here's kind of the thought that, that's helped teachers, you know, asking a reflective question, is what I'm about to do, what I'm about to assign, the conversation I'm about to enter it in, is it for the sole purpose of kind of learning for a moment or learning for a test? Or is it something that will help a student be really successful and safe and thriving and learning at a high level for the long haul? And it's not that one or the other is right or wrong, but it's a really serious, important question. If we can be honest with ourselves, and maybe the answer is, yeah, this is really to help them do well on on next Friday's test, for example, at least having that honest conversation with whoever they're talking to. And maybe it's just themselves. Maybe it's in a PLC. Maybe it's a principal or a a staff meeting. I mean, when people are on the same page and and owning, yeah, that's what the goal is. Then it just can change. It can change the work. And there aren't any expect, you know, there aren't people entering a conversation with different expectations. So, so to get Mm -hmm. to that core of transcendent learning, I mean, just really quickly, the things that I, dive further into in in the book it starts with relationships and then it's taking an intentional turn to take it deeper because we can start with relationships and then we can take a turn towards surface level learning which kind of sort of sometimes feels like how things are set up in in school Um, or we can go really be intentional about going deeper like understanding kids identity and again i have found that teachers do not need help with this, they, they, they get it and they intrinsically are motivated to understand kids' identity, um, but it's just really understanding that process and then making sure that the, the pedagogy and approach is relevant. Um, how good is your editing, Austin? It's, yeah, my, we can cut things out. Okay, my phone, my, I just wanna put my phone on do not disturb, or could oh, you sure. even hear that ringing? No, I don't hear it. Oh, okay, I'll just ignore it, sorry about that. Yeah. No, it's all right. <laughs> Okay, I'm okay, back so, with you though. Um, what you were saying was, was actually reminding me of a blog post that I found on your website. Um, and I, you probably remember this, it's an infographic up there at the top that says, who is this book for? Because one of the things that you say here in the post is that this book isn't for everyone. 
and you have this nice infographic describing who is it for. So uh, is it for me? Is it for the, the teacher at the school across the street from my house? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked because again, if we're, if our goal, and, and, you know, my goal is to help and empower just like yours is in the summit, people will not be empowered if they come at this from a different angle. So for example, anyone who's listening right now who believes that content is the, the beginning and end of the conversation and everything between, like that's it, um, this, pro this conversation will not be as helpful or empowering to you. It, however, if you believe content is really important, but you're gonna start with the heart of the, of the matter, getting to know your kids' hearts, minds, and hopes, in order to help them achieve lasting success, then this probably will be really empowering. So that's the infographic. And, and I think it's important to note that um, when a conversation isn't helpful to someone, it's okay to, to own that too. So there's definitely a distinction between mm -hmm. those two groups of people. And, 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 and honestly, I respect people. And I've, had, I've entered into conversations on Twitter, for example, with people who will fervently argue and support their argument really well and articulate why it is about starting with with content so i'm not equipped to have that i'm not equipped to talk anyone into that from based on my lived experience as a second grade teacher and now as an elementary principal i've seen and i've i've heard the difference it makes when there's a connection with kids and a relationship and i've seen seen how important that is and how lasting that type of learning and the, the memories are that's my experience and why i want to help people Mm, yeah, that's, that's really true. And that's been my experience also is seeing how experiences can change people through the learning process. And it's not just about effect. Um, but there certainly are teachers out there who, like you said, will say, um, it's, it's not my job to, to think about anything that happens outside of my classroom. So do you think that there's space in the school system for both types of teachers? Well, in our elementary school, what I've seen work best, and I think that's the right word, what's been most effective is developing trust and creating a culture where people feel seen and where they have a sense of belonging and their needs can be met. And we have a hard time meeting needs when we don't know who the needs belong to, right? If it's just about pitching content or helping someone Kind of consume or memorize that's a different kind of preparation so is there space for 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 both um there probably is but it just kind of depends on the goals the learner has or maybe even that the teacher has so i want to be really careful not to demonize that other quote-unquote camp mm. I, I i just i for l lasting learning when it's when we start with a relationship and we don't have to apologize or excuse ourselves for doing that, then the other thing can happen and it's probably stickier too, which which means instead of just having it ready, being able to be successful on tests and, and show what you know, um, it, it sticks with kids because it's associated with a, a depth of, you know, great instructional strategies like storytelling and personal connections and teachers going out of the way um, to help kids kids succeed so again there's a couple different pedagogies at play here but my money and really what I want my own kids to experience is a teacher and a principal who knows them and cares about them and as I say actually the subtitle of the book is hold on to the heart mind and hope of education that's what I want for my own kids and that's the way that I try to serve with our team here there's a yeah. quote Austin just to mm -hmm. kind of help people understand the link and why there probably is room for both or um, 
and it's uh, teaching the whole learner doesn't mean we disregard student achievement. It just means we refuse to disregard everything else that's important. So that's the, again, the distinction. This is not a, a dichotomy. And the reason why this even matters and why I really think this can help empower people is teachers and principals are going to encounter many different people who see it differently than we do. However, educators like us, when we, when we can articulate why the relationship matters, why we're taking time to feed a kid breakfast and, um, and talk to them about their soccer game and basketball game and violin lessons and the list goes on and on and on, um, we, we use that not only to care about them as a person, but to help personalize their learning so that the other things we're responsible for helping them learn are sticky and lasting. So that's an important dis um, distinction that people can bring with to their conversations and their spheres of influence, at least to ask questions and see where other people and colleagues stand on the matter. Mm, absolutely. And the idea of sticky learning, I think, is, is really important. And that brings me to something in my notes, actually, that might be connected. Uh, it's the donut theorem. Mm. Donuts can be sticky. I, that that's outstanding. So this is really exciting to me because one, uh, I see our team here at, uh, we have 815 students here and close to 100 staff when you count every, everyone on the team. And every single person has different strengths and passions and talents. And, and a good friend of mine, Jen Lagarde and I, we talk about this thing called the donut theorem. Hmm. And basically, Austin, if you were to think about your life and your work, there's probably a lot of donut crust and crust is good, right? Just some core stuff, foundational stuff that you do and you enter into and that we have to accomplish and work on every single day. But then there are also, you have your own jelly. So anyone who is listening, I would encourage you to think like, what, what are you really, if you were to start talking about one thing right now and get really excited about it, what would it be and, and why? And then here's the, the thing where the theorem gets real. Um, how might we inject that into the teaching, learning, and leadership work that we do every single day? Because if you're going around the edges of the donut and just eating the crust, you're not going to be as fulfilled as an educator. Whereas, and here's, a, here's an example to make this real. Most educators have communication with families and stakeholders as a core thing that we do, whether it's a parent newsletter, website, email, remind, whatever the case may be. So for, for many years, Austin, I would work really hard on crafting these amazing emails and paper newsletters, um, but, but I don't know how many people read them or cared about them. It wasn't until I started connecting my jelly, like the, the stickiness of the things that I love, which in part is working with kids. I also love technology and innovation. So basically, we started this video series where kids would work with me in my office to craft school updates via video. That was fulfilling kind of the core work, but it also had my jelly attached to it, part of my strength and passion, just like getting to know kids in that relationship and some of the video and innovation and using some really cool mind-blowing apps and special effects. So it did lots of things that filled my bucket. It actually, surprisingly, because it was a working lunch with kids helping, it, was le it actually took less time than, than the newsletter uh, hours I put in over the course of the week. Um, so that's an example of the theorem and how it's sticky and the feedback. So the result of that, when we share our jelly with the world, passion is contagious and you can kind of pick up on, I could listen to someone talk for an hour and, and probably fall asleep if they weren't super passionate. If they're digging it, even if it's something I don't care about, there's just something 
that cuts through and transcends that that dynamic or that communication. So um, anytime an educator can do that, good things are going to happen for themselves and for their kids. And that's actually another tangible thing. When you asked earlier, mm -hmm. like what I talked about the core of the calling, I think an awareness of what is your core, what's your, what's your moral foundation. That's important to know. But another thing that um, we've had great feedback on in conversation on the book is we call it the big three, but identifying three things that you, you want your students and colleagues to walk away with every day, every week, every year that are probably above and beyond the curriculum. So I have, you know, I have actually, one of mine is creating and supporting empowered learners, right? Another one is having every student be a, a passionate reader. So when I have those on my radar every single day, chances are very good that I'll be hitting on those and probably it connects to the donut theorem too. When I don't have my big three list posted on my desk in front and center, I kind of drift through the day and my schedule and plans guide me. And as we alluded to earlier, sometimes that there's a gravitational pull towards surface level learning and yep. accountability and things. And it's not that those things are bad, but they can be a lot better when they have my passion and my own personal beliefs and endorsement um, accompanying them. That's the donut theorem. That's amazing. I, I love it. I love it. Do you, do you bring donuts in when you're talking to people about this? No, but it's funny because I've, uh, I, I have a podcast and connect with people over video for book studies and stuff. And one time I was interviewing someone and they had a donut to, to lead into that question. They sat and ate it in front of me and it was torture to watch because I love donuts. But. <laughs> Great. Well, you mentioned book studies and I wanted to ask you about that because I know look, by looking on your website and even actually um, I'm on Amazon right now and I've got the first section of your book on the, the preview here and it says you can build your own book study. It's right here. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? How can someone yeah. do that? Oh, absolutely. So, so long story short, you know, everyone I think enters these book studies with different needs and talents and aspirations. So we, we put together some things that we we've heard, you know, through conversation with educators and notice that they see value in as part of book studies, and then they're able to pull what works for them and their colleagues. So for example, there are some video prompts for discussion. There are questions for social media sharing, like 30 or 30 or more. So regardless of how you want to hold the study, there's, here's my favorite part. When I um, put together, there's a digital discussion guide and I was trying to explicitly put in some bonus content that wasn't in the book after it was written. And then some of it, I was enjoying so much. I was like, dang, I wish this was in the, in the book. So there's some cool stuff as part of the digital, kind of like juicy extras or bo bonus content. But long story short, it's just offering people choice in their learning. I was in a classroom today, fourth grade classroom. The teacher was doing some literature circles and he had a menu on the smart TV of all these ways kids could interact with one another and the book they had just read. And I literally said to him, I'm like, man, I want to be in fourth grade because it was, it was off the hook, the different choices he was giving kids just to interact with the book deeper. So, you know, te again, teachers know that, that that's a really effective thing to do. We don't need to tell them that because they're very gifted in it. However, one of the problems is our professional development and opportunities to support their learning doesn't always reflect what we know to be best. It doesn't always give them um, the choices that they deserve to empower them. So that's, that's where the Build Your Own Book Study comes in and some of the resources people can pick and choose from to have great connection over the book with colleagues. Okay, great. Yeah, and that professional development is something that is so important, but it isn't always 
uh, implemented in a way that's as helpful as it could be. So that's, that's good to hear. It's almost like uh, designing your own professional development. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Okay, I'm also looking through here. Um, I'm looking through. Well, you've, got, you've done your research, Austin. I'm oh, yeah. impressed here. <laughs> I, I'm asking you some questions that we didn't talk about before uh, now. So on the table of contents here, I, I love the titles of your, uh, your chapters. And I wanted to ask you about chapter eight. Now, I, I've got to admit, I haven't read this yet, but I'm so curious. <laughs> this, uh, chapter eight is titled Hot Dogs and Hope. Can you? Tell me more about that. What will I learn when I read that chapter? Sure. So the, the book, and I feel okay talking about this for when it comes to teacher empowerment, because it really is an empowering read. It's, it's sole purpose is to help and to empower educators. So I'm glad, I'm glad we're diving in this deep, but hot dogs and hope the it's towards the end of the book and it's on like the hope of education. And one of the um, things we get into is the concept of innovation and some uh, myths about innovation that's always related to technology. So I share this story about Nathan's eating contest, you know, that hot dog contest in mm -hmm. New York, yeah. the annual one. How many hot dogs about in, in a 10 minute time window, what do you think the world record is for how many hot dogs? Someone uh, in 10 minutes. Probably 10 minutes, maybe uh, a hot dog every, every minute. So maybe, a, maybe, no. Let's go with 100. I'm going to say 100. Yeah, okay. That's a great – you're very close. But when you do the math, kind of like you just did, per minute, it's a – the answer is 74. That's a staggering number of hot dogs per per minute or even in the 10-minute time. It's actually kind of gross and makes me ill to think about it. But but the point is achievement through the years, and I share the bar graph. It, I always joke that it's the best PLC meeting – the best data you'll ever look at in your PLC is this hot dog eating data um, because it's so interesting to think about like how did these world famous hot dog eaters go from only eating 20 hot dogs in 12 minutes time to eating 74 hot dogs in only 10 minutes time. It's just a ridiculous curve there. And Kobayashi and Joey Jaws Chestnut, they're these famous eaters or um, competitive food eaters. I don't know what they're called. Anyway, they, they introduced some new training techniques. So for example, slamming gallons of water and milk in training so you can kind of fight the gag reflex and wetting mm. a hot dog bun to stuff it in, breaking a hot dog in half. There's just all sorts of advanced eating techniques. I'm not making any of this up, but basically it was a, it was a technique to, to innovate and it just was a game changer in the eating world. And I go on to share a couple other examples of innovation and just look at things differently. And part of the, part of the point I drive home in chapter eight is that don't let anyone fool you. It doesn't have to be shiny, have batteries and plug in to be innovative and to make it to be meaningful to the kids that we serve and that you serve. And, and, and your kids are different than my kids. So don't ever feel like you have to do what I'm doing. And I shouldn't feel pressured to, to try to exactly emulate what, what you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a really empowering concept to look at what is meaningful for this learner mm -hmm. and how might we see school through the eyes of this learner? Because that might be one of the most innovative questions we ask in a day or a week. Like, what would this learner say about what I'm doing? Here's another example, just actionable. I think this came from a teacher in our school, but we're sitting in a meeting talking about I Love to Read Month, a theme for I Love to Read Month. And the adults at the table, myself included, are trying to brainstorm what kids would like mm -hmm. and having not an argument, but just discussing. Finally, a teacher says, well, shouldn't we couldn't we, shouldn't we ask a student? It's like, well, duh, we probably should 
ask a student. So it goes back to that question. That, I found that to be very innovative because most kids aren't part of planning meetings all through the day, partly because kids have other responsibilities. But when they are involved and when their voice is amplified, really incredible things happen that require zero, zero technology. So that's kind of the uh, hot dogs and hope in action for you. Love, I love it. Thank you. That's a great, that's kind of a sneak preview for anybody who wants to. Yeah, read. there you go. Uh, it's good. It's good pre-dinner conversation too. Not really. Right. <laughs> yeah, you, that's not a, a dietary uh, program for your school, is it? No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, uh, we're nearing the end of the interview, um, but I wanted to give you one more chance to, if you wanted to share a success story because we talked a lot about your book and we talked about the different uh, uh, actionable steps that you've mentioned. So um, are there any students or teachers that you'd like to like, tell a short story about and uh, of success? Sure. Well, thanks for asking. The, one of the, you know, with the goal of helping like this summit and then the, the book I wrote, one of the most rewarding, fulfilling things is getting feedback on how the work actually made a difference for, for a student or for a teacher or for a school. So recently I got, I think it was on Twitter, somebody tweeted me and shared some work their PLC was doing as a result of the book and the conversation they had, and they, they shared a picture with me, but her team was brainstorming strengths and passions of individual kids. So the, the PLC conversation started out and was focused on not on deficits and what they wanted or needed to improve, but it started from a place of strength and they just learned so much about the kids they're serving. And that, that was really a powerful thing because A, that would be what I would want my kids, principal and teacher to be engaged with, at least at some point in the year, that would be the kind of culture I would want to work in where we're celebrating and getting to know one another because we can go a lot farther when we know where our, our hearts and our strengths and our, our backgrounds are and, and the strengths we bring to conversations. It also reminded me of in our own school, there was a kiddo we were working with trying to help. And one of our, um, one of our specialists had a leadership lunch with him on a regular basis just to get to know him and celebrate him and some classmates and came to find out that he played an instrument that no one even knew knew about, and it's like, why didn't I? Why didn't I know that? And thank goodness you took the time to get to know his strength and passion and what he's worked on so hard. Because in a time when many of us were struggling to see the, the great choices and work he had done, we needed to we needed to know that, and we could use that as an extra way to connect with him and support him and and celebrate him. So that's just a mini kind of um, success story, something somebody shared, and a connection I actually made to it here at our own school. Oh, that's great. That's super powerful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you bet. Okay, last question. Do you have anything else to share? Final words of, of advice, words of wisdom for our audience? Yeah, so um, we talked a little bit about the big three and just how transformative that simple act can be when, when you just sit down and give yourself the gift of time to do that. And then kind of the permission and build the support system where other people are doing it with you. And in the book, it builds a little bit. It, it Then it shifts over a few chapters into creating a, we call it a radar list, things to keep mm -hmm. on your radar. And it goes up to five things. And you actually, it's not extra work, Austin. You just take your big three and add, add two more things. But the power of connecting with others and sharing, like if I were to share my five kind of core priorities, at least at this point in my life and how I want to serve and support and help kids, 
And I, if you were to do the same, that is such a powerful thing because we probably would have some similarities. I'm, I'm just guessing, but we would also learn a lot from one another and the dialogue that could ensue would help sharpen my ability to, to serve and to lead. Cause I might not even have something on my radar that hmm. you've experienced and that you can help lead and help grow. So the power of taking kind of the, the tenants and the tools in reclaim our calling and then having collegial conversations, um, the, the, the culture building result that, that happens when we do that and just the, the, the individual growth is really staggering. So I think probably another way that I would apply this to this conversation and work is as people are listening um, to myself and other speakers who are sharing, dial in with a colleague, invite a colleague to watch the same thing that you just watched, ask them what they thought, have that conversation because they will pick up on things and they'll make connections to their work and the great stuff they're already doing that maybe you didn't and vice versa. And really cool things happen as a result of that work and that connection. And to come full circle, Austin, I still believe it starts with relationships and connection. So it's not just the, the um, connection in the sense that we're doing, but it's the connection that can happen when, deep and trusting dialogues and ongoing dialogues happen. Really great learning, learning that lasts can result from that. When we skip that step, I feel like we leave it to chance a little bit. Mm, I, I agree 100%. And yes. that's, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So that's uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for uh, dedicating the time to this Teacher Empowerment Summit and to uh, talking with me. Uh, if our viewers would like to learn more about you or even reach out, what's the best way for them to do that? Awesome. Kind of the one-stop shop is bradgustafson.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and it's always at Gustafson Brad. So I would love to hear and connect. And um, I also appreciate friendly pushback as well. That's how I learn too. So when I, when I miss things, I, I actually appreciate mm -hmm. that. So. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks again. And, um, and we'll see you later. Sounds good. Thanks, Austin. All right. Bye. All right.